After 32 years, I came out of the closet as a gay Christian pastor. Finally, on the outside of that suffocating prison, I'm looking around and I'm like, we can't stay here. It's not enough to become informed. We have to do something about the harm we're still witnessing within systems and spaces we've been loyal to for so long. It's time we become reformers. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. I've got a special guest with me today. We're talking about drag. I've got Flamey Grant here. Hey, Hi. <laughs> How are you, Mike? I am doing well. How are you? <laughs> I'm really good. Um, this is this is the look. What do you think? We're right, done. You look, you look great. Get on stage. <laughs> Amy Grant is a CCM artist from the 90s, right? 90s, mm -hmm. early 2000s? I mean, from the 70s through modern day times, baby, let's not get oh, it twisted. Right. But Too yes, sure. her heyday, her heyday was for sure the 90s. That was yeah. when Heart, Heart in Motion was chart topping everywhere. So <laughs> is that her album? Yeah. Nice. So I remember anyone. Amy Grant was like a pillar in the CCM world. She was like a mm -hmm. staple, you know, just a, uh, everywhere. So when I found that your name was Flamey Grant, I lost it. I was like, this is <laughs> amazing. So I met Matthew through Colby Martin, um, or at least yep. that's how I got, how I knew that Matthew existed and we got connected on Instagram and then met in person. Anyway, we're in, we're in pride month and I wanted to celebrate, you know, pride in the queer community and specifically highlight some voices in the drag community because of how much backlash and crazy has been going on, especially in Nashville. Right. Um, and so I definitely wanted to have Flamey Grant weigh in here. So and we appreciate it, Mike. We appreciate you standing with the Queens yes. being part of, of the, uh, I hope it's okay. I, occasionally, I'm gonna have to pop an earbud I, out, and I hope you can still hear me okay I and everything. Can great, I can hear you great. great. You're good. Loosely, here's kind of what I'm hoping for our conversation, Matthew. I want to hear. I mean, obviously, I've heard your backstory, but I want to have you share your backstory. How did you get from conservative evangelicalism to flaming Grant? Right, that's a journey. Would love to hear the you know pertinent <laughs> steps along the way, and then I want to hear about you know your the art you're doing now. Um, what you're engaging in, what you're doing. And then I also want to just give you space to share your thoughts and opinions and perspective on being a drag queen in 2023, you know, and in America and all the things that come with that. So that's kind of my loose hope for the conversation. Um, I love and, it. And you guys, I specifically asked Matthew if he would be, if he would get ready on the call. So if you're listening to this as a podcast, you're missing out on the visual treat that is Matthew becoming Flamey Grant. So... Um, and you might hear weird sounds along the way. And that's what that is. <laughs> that's what that is. Nice. So Matthew, while you're doing that, and to get us started, would you mind kicking us off with firstly, like, how'd you grow up? What's the world you came from? Just to give us some mm. background. Well, yes, I'm a Bible Belt baby. Uh, and that is the title of my record. And no, a drag queen will never miss an opportunity to hawk her wares. So there you go. Uh, I grew up, I grew up in Western North Carolina and uh, in Asheville and outside of Asheville, which is a pretty cool place. But I didn't know that growing up. I uh, I spent most of my time either in church um, at our Christian school or in our house. So I didn't know that Asheville was this uh, pretty rad pretty rad place what, what's your by the way what's your policy on swearing in your podcast Mike oh yeah I probably should have shared that disclaimer um I used to say this all the time and, and I kind of just assumed it but um Matthew you can say whatever you want however you want to say it and we all cool, cool, cool. work it out so please express yourself however comes most naturally right on right on thank you um so yeah uh I my, my the church I grew up in which is is what dominated all of our lives my whole family's lives uh it's called Plymouth Brethren is the tradition 
and it's not familiar to most folks, but it's there's like a little bit of like Quaker backgrounds in there, but but really what it is, it's just this like group of folks who think that um, you should only be meeting in the name of Jesus. You should not have any like organized leadership. There shouldn't be uh, like a pastor is just like a bad thing to have. You don't have paid staff. You don't have pastors. You don't have, <laughs> you don't have anybody running the thing. It's literally everybody just showing up and kind of the community coming together and making church happen, making your fellowship events happen, making your celebrations of life, like marriages and, and uh, memorials and things like that all happen. But it's only the men who are permitted to have any sort of quote unquote leadership role, which means speaking. Like, so anytime the congregation is gathered uh, in a worship setting, women are silent. They cover their hair. They wear these little doilies. It's real cute. Bye, babe. My husband's on his way out and he's making faces. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I, it's highly, highly patriarchal and um, very much favors white people. And is just kind of the it, it's 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 very much on the the fringe conservative side of evangelicalism in America, which. I would argue nowadays evangelicalism is just a fringe conservative right side, uh, but um, we were doing it before it was popular, I guess. <laughs> nice. Okay, so yeah. you grew up in that world. So you weren't just like yeah. Christian at church on Sundays, on Wednesday nights, at home. You were also Christian at school. It was just all evangelical. Very that, very that. Yeah. And and I did get at least a little bit of exposure through school to like other denominations. So I knew <laughs> that like... <laughs> Not everyone was Plymouth Brethren. <laughs> exactly. Yes. I knew every, not everyone was Plymouth Brethren. And then I, but I also grew up with this like superiority complex because according to our, you know, leadership, um, we were, we had it right, which, you know, every, every church says that, right. Obviously like you go to the church that you think is doing it the best, but we were like, particularly like there was question about whether Baptists were actual Christians, you know, like Catholics for sure weren't actual Christians, like that those folks were going to hell, sadly. Right. Um, uh, so it was that kind of supremacist, I would say, uh, mindset yeah. that we grew up in. Yeah. Oh, I wish I couldn't relate and didn't understand exactly what you're talking about. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, I get all that. It feels like you're probably not going to a Plymouth Brethren church anymore. Oh, yeah, no, it's right next door. I, I made sure I live next to <laughs> one. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not going to Plymouth Brethren anymore. Okay, so I want to know what happened. What was the beginning steps of your slippery slope water slide out of that environment into the future? I've always been kind of of two minds about all of this. Like, on the one hand, you, if, why don't we just use the word grooming? Um, because that is what I feel like happened to me. I felt like I, I was groomed as a kid to believe specific things and behave in very specific ways and the consequence and I say grooming because there were consequences if I didn't right and the consequences were I mean I remember a girl who got pregnant a teenager who got pregnant in our church we don't have like excommunication but it, like like a version of shunning basically like you're, you're no longer permitted to take communion uh, you can't come to like the main service and, and then of course just all the the talk around it so like I had it really strong examples um, of what would happen if you were to break ranks right so on one hand I really wanted to like it was I it was the only place I knew in the world right I didn't have examples or options of what life could look like if if I weren't um, spending you know five nights a week at, in this church community um, 
it's all I knew. So like belonging is very much associated with church in that context. Um, because if you don't, if you can't go to church with your family, like, like you, you just fuck everything up. Like you screw up your family. Um, you screw up your, your, your livelihood in a lot of ways because you know, you depend on each other in those contexts, and especially in like lower middle class to, to poor Southern communities, which is what a lot of the folks in our church were, um, including us, uh, you know, th there's, there's some serious stakes there is what I'm trying to say. So on the one hand, I was really committed and like, I wanted to be the best Christian and I worked really hard at it. And on the other hand, I've always had this like tickle in the back of my brain that's just being like, but that really like can we talk a little bit more about that that doesn't seem very um sane and so i asked a lot of a lot of questions growing up so by the time i got to college you know and and i had like i said i had met i made a lot of friends who were like presbyterian and all kinds of other denominations so i was just curious i had a lot of curiosity about how people maneuvered in the world who weren't plymouth brethren because by that point i realized we were not the majority <laughs> of humans it was relationships over years for me that kind of like moved me very slowly um, away from the the traditional um, evangelical beliefs that I, I was brought up with. Mm, nice. So it was kind of like a slow tick by tick, moving your way, opening up, expanding. Yeah. My coming out process was slow, which, you know, I, I'm glad we now talk about coming out not as a one-time thing because it's not something we do every day. Anytime we meet a new person, you know, nice. we're, we're, we're quote unquote coming out. Right. Um, and until we're in a society that doesn't assume straightness and cisness as the norm, then we will always be coming out. The very first time I told anybody was in college and I pointed, I opened up a Bible. It was my best friend. And I, I, I couldn't even say the word gay. And I opened up my Bible and pointed to Romans one. And I was like, this, this is what I struggle with. And then I like literally like, left him on the couch to go read that verse and like went to the other side of the room and like crawled into a ball and was weeping. <laughs> um, so, you know, that was <laughs> coming out. That's a version of coming out. Right. And then, um, you know, like you move through phases where you're like, well, I'm same sex attracted, but I'm gonna, you know, I'm, I'm fighting it. I'm gonna change. I'm going to become straight. Uh, I, I self-enrolled in Exodus, which is that lovely, uh, thankfully now defunct uh, conversion therapy organization that used to kind of be the go-to place for evangelicals to send their <laughs> their queer kids. I self-enrolled in that because my internal, um, what do you call it, internalized homophobia was so strong that I was like, this is something I have to do for God to still love me. And I was in ministry for years and years after after college too. So even when I was like open with close circles and close friends, and then eventually like my whole congregation about the fact that I'm same sex attracted, I struggle with homosexuality. Like I was still very clear about I'm celibate, I'm single. Like I tried dating women a couple times, did not go well. So it really wasn't until I was 28 years old that I finally, for the first time was like, I had, I had done my, my unclobbering work, you know, for, uh, to reference our, our friend Colby. Um, I had, I had done my, my work with understanding what the Bible was actually saying about me as a queer person. Mm. And I went back to my community and was like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to date now because I'm, I'm gay. That's not changing. I've tried all of that. I've come to understand it's not a sin and I'm going to date. I was 28 when that finally happened. And that was, oh my gosh, that was 12 years ago. 
very old mike this is why i need lots of makeup <laughs> okay so then when you started dating men were you still part of the church or did you kind of have to walk away or what was that like for you well so i thought i would still be part of the church but as it turned out the church had different ideas uh this is a church i helped to start here in san diego um i, I moved to san diego to be as a church planter like that's why i'm in this town and so this church that i helped start was the place where I had done all of this processing. And I did so much of it like in community with the people there. Um, I was, you know, in small groups, I was the worship leader, like I was very visible in this church. And I had been processing all of this stuff with my all my friends. So when I decided that, you know, I was gonna, I was gonna date men, I was gonna be openly queer, it was about it was kind of a 50-50 situation. There were about half of the people who were like, yeah, we get that. We've been on this journey with you. We totally understand where you're coming from. And a lot of the people were already, you know, just personally affirming. So they were totally cool with it. And then my closest friends who were the leadership of the church, the pastor, his wife, um, other folks in leadership were like, yeah, that's not going to work for us. Um, and it was, it was the first time they like really explicitly came down hard and were like, we actually don't, we actually think this is a sin. So it was, it was very much one of those moments where, you know, we hear this story all the time of you go to a church that says, come as you are, be who you are, all of those things. God loves you as you are. But then when it gets down to the nitty gritty and you're in leadership or you want to like talk about your experiences as a queer person, they're like, actually, God wants you to change. So being who you are is not great. Um, so that was that was fun. I, I actually stuck around for like eight months and just I, I was like, OK, fine, like as long as we keep talking about this as a community let's do that and i will step down from leadership i'll just be a butt in a seat not a thing i do <laughs> um and uh and i waited you know i waited as like a church this is the first time i'd ever just like attended church you know and not been a part of making it and it just didn't work for me um and and then nobody wanted to pick up that conversation they were happy to have me out of leadership and like let things kind of say the status quo and I was like oh I see what y'all are really about so fuck this shit I'm out is what I said <laughs> yeah I gotta say I hate yeah. finding out that stuff out like by piecing it together and getting the hint rather than people just being up front for sure yeah uh, so painful yeah this is why that like the whole church clarity project and people who do that work like I'm very grateful I'd just much rather know that you're going to be homophobic and <laughs> exclusionary uh right up front that just saves us all a lot of time right how did flaming come about i have photos of myself as a three four-year-old kid prancing around in my mom's heels and like her nightgown wearing her nightgown as a dress and so like apparently at some point in my early childhood development it was cute like cute enough for them to take pictures and like put them in the family photo albums right but there must have been a moment where they realized that this was a pattern and they had to intervene and uh, disrupt it because I just remember a lot of instruction growing up about how I needed to behave and how I needed to present in the world. I was constantly being steered away from things that were like too feminine, quote unquote, you know, and, and so I for sure was not allowed to mess around in mom's makeup after a while. I shut down those inclinations, those impulses in me for ever for a long time until I was well until about four or five years ago frankly you know it was it was clearly being communicated to me that that was one of those things that was going to cost me my belonging in the community but I just say all that to say like the impulses were always there and I feel like flamey was like you know not named obviously but this part of me was has been part of me always I only always been with you 
Yeah, she's always been with me. And so much of like drag for me has been literally just that, like inner child work, just like me coming back to that kid and being like, hey, it is okay. All of all of these things that you wanted to do and that you just that were that came so naturally to you, like that, that, that you didn't well, you weren't groomed, right? Like that's that's what I'm trying to say is like no one was like drawing you into this world. You I didn't know what queerness was until like middle school, high school. I sure as heck didn't know what a drag queen was until I don't even know. I think I went into college probably without even knowing what drag was. You know, other than like seeing Robin Williams, you know, like Mrs. Doubtfire, but I didn't know that there was like a whole performance art around it and that people built careers around it and that kind of thing. Once I did, once I did start like seeing you know, drag race gifts pop up on social media. I was like, what is this? What's going on? These weird little images I keep seeing. There's a really vibrant queer community in San Diego, a lot of drag performers here. Um, so I got to see some of those for the first time. And then Drag Race, uh, RuPaul's Drag Race, the show, were both kind of my simultaneous introduction to the world of drag. And I was just hooked from the second I, I saw my first. We, we went to a, a trivia night here years ago that was being hosted by a drag queen. And I was just like, oh, she's so fabulous. We were, my husband and I were sitting around watching Drag Race one night. I was like, what What would your drag name be if you had one? He was like, oh, I've got one. It's Amanda Do It. And I was like, you have a drag name? I don't, I've never even thought about that. And I was like, I need one. And um, <laughs> well, he, you know, he was trying to help me. And I was like, well, I love the, um, the names that are like puns, like Tina Burner, Shaka Convict. Like I love the, the names that are like fun little, tips of the hat to uh their favorite diva i was like but my diva was amy obviously <laughs> i was i was not allowed to listen to anything growing up unless i could buy it at our local christian bookstore which is called the carpenter shop i don't know flamey just like that name just came to me while we were sitting there i was like what about flamey grant and he laughed and my husband has no like he doesn't have this the he didn't grow up in this world so he doesn't have the religious trauma and the context for all of that but he still thought it was funny and i was like well if he thinks it's funny then I know like kids who grew up in youth group are gonna love this. So she was kind of like honestly born that night because I literally went and saved all the handles on Instagram and everywhere. At that point, not even thinking that I would ever do this as a career or for anything other than just like, let's go to a party and drag kind of thing. That And that's what I did for those first few times. I just, I went to a couple house parties in drag. I went out for Halloween in drag. I mean, it just, it got in me. And then pandemic hit and... I had all this time. I had hours and hours of time that I had not ever had before because um, I was such a busy person. I used it. I used my pandemic. Some people, you know, like got sourdough starters and learned to bake bread. And I just did a master class on YouTube in like makeup. Um, I watched any video I could get my hands on and just started painting my face. And then eventually we, we, we share a house with a couple uh, fellow musicians, very close friends of mine. Um, and so we started doing our own show, a live stream show on Thursday nights during those early days of pandemic where we would cover songs. And so I started showing up to that show in drag. From there, it was just like a very quick slippery slope down into now, now she's releasing albums. She's touring. She's got like a one woman show. Like it's just, it's a whole thing now. It started just as like, I just wanted to affirm my inner child. I just wanted to like explore this thing that I had shoved down inside of me so deeply for so long. It's something more significant than that to me. I want to hear more about this inner child. Mm -hmm. In your language and things you were observing and connecting to, what was it about your inner child and drag 
Like, how are they related? What is it about Flamey that's causing you to get to say, what are you getting to say yes to in your inner child that maybe people who don't relate to this experience wouldn't understand? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's great. Well, I would say the first thing like that the drag has helped me figure out is my my gender expression, which not even figure out, like begin the process of figuring out really. Um, but what it ha- what it definitely helped me figure out is that like non-binary is for sure a term that I connect with way more than man. It's funny because um, I was actually, I was talking with another friend earlier this week about how hard, how many years I spent in pursuit of like manhood and wanting to be one of the guys and masculinity and all those things. Like I just, I felt like that was the key for me. If I could unlock that and figure out how to fit in with like men, then I would, then all the other pieces would fall into place. I was trying to answer a question my body wasn't asking. My body did not identify as male. My body was not like hyper associated with traditional masculinity. My body just wanted to be who I was. And I was trying to force it into this, this lane. Um, and, and masculinity in church world is like it's, its own like special breed of performative bullshit. You know, it's just funny now because I, I look back and I'm like, you're not a godly man like you're first of all you're not godly like <laughs> unless you, you just want to use that in the more inclusive uh way we say godly which is to be like you have a divine spark like yes you are you are divine but you're not like nothing about you wants to like be this version of holy this evangelical version of holy and masculinity is not going to heal you it's not going to suit you it's not going to fill these holes um that you feel inside drag for me like let me finally like reckon with that reality because it's hard it's hard to like be known for 35 years as one thing it's hard it's hard just for yourself like to to change like an identity uh, understanding for yourself but then to like change it for everybody around you and be like hey all like could we start using they them pronouns like it's it's a it's a really hard thing to do and I, and I don't think I ever would have like gotten there without drag as the reassuring piece for me that every time I do this it's just such an affirming experience for me it's a journey and it's a process who knows if I'll stick with that forever all of life is an experiment but this is for sure like like figuring out how you want to be perceived and referred to in the world is like I feel like always very experimental I don't know that any of us ever like land anywhere firmly where we just know that like for the rest of my life I'm this thing and this thing only that's part of the beauty too of being human is that we get to do reinvention we get to consider ourselves in new lights as we learn new information and then adapt and adjust accordingly I don't even remember what question I'm answering anymore Mike in drag culture there's you know so much blending of all kinds of expressions that are a character that you're acting as or you know even in your life and you're right it's like a moving flexing journey that everyone's on their own journeys and yeah and that's the um i think that's just the beauty of the queer community is we're so like adaptable and versatile and vibrant i this this like idea that conservatives seem to have that that we're just a bunch of militant people who are like stop misgendering me and like getting mad at the world like i mean yes there are times when people are intentionally doing it to protest your identity (laughs) to yeah to protest your identity to demean who you who you are Mm. then yeah that's obviously triggering and hurtful and and painful but my experience by and large is that people are much more like gentle about it and fluid with it and understanding of like slips uh and, and things like that because we're all we're all just figuring this out 
the militancy is not part of the experience for me. I don't, I don't, I don't see that. And I sure don't feel that way about it. I'm not out here trying to shake fists at people. So I'm also curious in the middle of all of the, you know, the pandemic, the makeup, the drag, the non-binary journey, all those things that are happening. You've also, from, from what I've watched, at least from afar for a while, there has been an adjacency to church, church culture, Christianity, still in the yeah. midst of all this deconstruction and reinventing and all that. Can you speak to mm -hmm. that part of your life and process? And I understand like, you know, some of that has probably evolved and changed even when I first met you. Like, what can you, yeah, just share that part of the journey. Yeah. So I think it's such a common experience for people who grow up in a really um, high demand religion that it's not something that you can just walk away from and cut ties with cleanly one day. I mean, some people actually can. I, I do. Know, that's not true. I know people who have done that. <laughs> but then I also know people who, and it, I feel like it tends to be the people who were really on the inside of like church making, like people who were worship leaders, pastors, uh, you know, deacons, like whatever your role was, like you, you felt like you had a stake in the life of the thing, uh, more so than just like being a parishioner who attends. Um, and I think a lot of us have a shared experience of like, this thing hurt me. I have a lot of unresolved anger and conflict with it. It's like Brocraft Mountain. Like, I wish I knew how to quit you. Like, it gets in our bones uh, in, in a way when we're brought up from birth to not only believe these things, but also like go through these rituals. And like, our spiritual practice is founded in so much that is explicitly Christian or explicitly evangelical, that it's just really hard to do any kind of like, clean break at least that's my experience part of that processing for me was doing exactly what you do which is I, I started a podcast in 2017 called heathen very intentionally called it heathen because I didn't want to have to deal with <laughs> what you have to deal with uh, 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 on a daily basis which is like Christians coming into your dms and being like how can you call yourself a Christian and like still believe these things? And I was like that just wasn't at the time that wasn't the conversation I was interested in having like I just wanted to talk to other people who had, you know, now we use the word deconstruction. That wasn't as much of a buzzword back then. Um, I just literally thought I was an apostate and a heathen. So I was like, well, if I call it heathen, then the Christians won't bother me because I will have like clearly advertised right up front that, <laughs> you know, I'm, I, I, I'm not trying to stake a claim in their quote unquote territory of Christendom. Yeah. So I did my deconstruction largely through that podcast and just talking to friends who were like in all kinds of spaces, people who were still very much Christian, very much in church, but had like frustrations with modern American Christianity to all the way, all the way to people who were like, I'll never forget. Like I had a conversation with someone who like went into this whole thing about dimensions and like alien races and how we're like our consciousness as a human race is ascending right now to like this new dimension and, and like aliens are calling us. Like it, was, it was like wild. And also at the same time, I was just like, this is so fascinating. Like we believe a lot of weird, crazy shit in Christianity too. So like, why would I completely dis discount this person's spiritual experience? So, you know, it was just, it was having those conversations for me that like, like this was all pre-flaming. I did my deconstruction and I kind of had my reckoning with all of that. And at the same time, I was part of a very progressive Christian church here in San Diego. Kate Christensen Martin and Coley Martin were the pastors of this church. And I loved still having that community. 
and I loved having a place where I could very openly be like, I don't know what I believe, or I, you know, I, there are things I definitely don't believe, you know, things like resurrection and, and things like that, like, like literal resurrection um, that, you know, most churches, maybe not even most, most evangelical churches would be like, yeah, you, you're not a Christian if you don't believe in that. By the time Flamey came around, I had already done so much of that work that I was like kind of into that transcendent include space where like I know enough people in the world now who are holding on to that title of Christian and working really hard to change the culture from within because they know how damaging and harmful it is to people on the margins. I don't know. I think I, I saw enough examples of that to where when people started to connect with Flaney Grant in a spiritual context, it, it wasn't that far off base for me. It kind of made sense. I don't know, Mike, like I've always felt like that quote unquote call to ministry. Oh God, you said it. <laughs> I did. <laughs> you, you can call it whatever you want. You can call it art and performance. And then I think there's also an element of ministry to it because the first time I had like a video go viral, the comments in it were all, I feel seen, I feel safe, like, thank you. Uh, I didn't even know I needed this, like those kinds of comments. And I was just like, wow, that's somehow this drag thing that I'm doing is like touching people in a, in a spiritual place in a spiritual way and it's not something I can fully explain but it happens and uh, it makes me feel good to be a safe place for people like that's that's driven me my whole life like that's why I've been in ministry my whole life is because of those moments when people do have like a breakthrough or do have a uh, an emotional becoming moment <laughs> where yeah. we we realize something about ourselves and we see ourselves as worthy and we see ourselves as capable and loved i tell you what those moments come way more frequently as flamey than they ever did in like traditional church ministry so <laughs> yeah same i can say like without even having to think a ton about it the amount of i don't know life changing impactful moments i've shared with people since coming out publicly as a gay man versus when i was closeted and platformed and on stages and stuff it doesn't compare it's like there's been so much more impact and like genuine you know connection and breakthrough if that's what we're using right um yeah yeah totally i get that i relate to that for sure i just want to be a whole person i just want to feel happy whole healthy and if you have something that's doing that for you like baby tell me about it totally love it so many queer people have been hurt by the church and they don't know how to move forward. They have so much hurt and anger and pain to process through, to heal from, and the world they left behind is not the solution. My team and I here in NUMA are trying to forge a new path forward for people exactly like that. Here's the challenge. My team and I have bills to pay. We don't want to put the cost of the services and resources we're providing for the queer community on them. These guys are victims of really painful things they should never have had to go through. Here's where you can come in. Some of you, you're not on the front lines. You're not like dedicating your life and energy and work toward addressing this, but you care about it and you know it's important. We created what we call the NUMA Partnership Program, where people like you can either do a one-time contribution or a regular subscription to help fund and support the work that my team and I are doing, to either provide discounts or fully scholarship people to jump into either our one-on-one -on -one private coaching, or our group facilitated conversations. We found these two spaces to be the most impactful and the areas that are most needed for people going through this journey. If you care about and believe in this work and you wanna to contribute to it, but you don't necessarily have the skills or the experience or the energy to give to this, we are happy to allow you to financially support us while we get in the trenches with people like this and help them move forward into a better future. The link below has either option available for you if you'd like to join us as a newer partner. I hope you consider doing this with us. We need the support. We have so much work to do out here. 
thank you for considering joining us. Okay, so you've been flamey for a couple of years now, but I anticipate three for three years now. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah, I think we're going on three and a half years. Wow, yeah. I don't know if this is accurate or true, but I would assume it's maybe felt more sensitive or vulnerable being flamey this year than it has in the past. <laughs> is that yeah. true? Yeah, it is very true. Um, you, what's that like? Tell us about it. What's going on for you on your end of all this? My gosh, it's mind-numbingly moronic, this argument, right? That drag queens would want to groom kids. It takes like a, a, a serious level of, well, first, I, I don't know, whatever. Um, I'm just going to say this. I'm going to say, as a drag queen, I am interested in seeing what drag can do for kids uh, who were like me. Because for sure, I think if I had had examples and options presented to me uh, as a kid, I would it would not have taken me 35 years to unlock this part of myself. So their fears are founded in that that yeah, kids need need to see examples in the world, all examples in the world, so that they can find the thing that resonates with them. But their fear is not founded in that they think that we're like instilling or implanting that in kids and that's just not the case it's just it's just really like i said mind-numbingly moronic to think that you can make a kid like genuinely love something that that they don't genuinely already feel an affinity for right i think the reason that they think this is because like they're the groomers right like i i didn't genuinely love god or the bible or my religion but anybody looking at me growing up would have thought I absolutely did, like because I was performing as the best Christian. So you can, what you can do is beat it into a kid so hard that they're going to, and and make the stakes so high, the belonging, the the fear of what's outside of your community, the fear of hell, those kinds of things. Like all of that works together to create a kid who's going to be like, yeah, of course I love God. God's great. Like. <laughs> Please don't ever question that about me because I'm scared of what's going to happen if you, if you do. I'm sorry, mama, like there's no drag queen out here like who's got that kind of energy. Like we are not building entire systems and communities and like networks where we're going to like come here kitties, come into the world of drag and let me like groom you and instill this in you. But that's not a conversation obviously that these folks are interested in having. Um as you know all too well. Gosh, I saw that the post you just made of the person who's like pops into your dms first word groomer and now here's a list of questions i demand you answer like <laughs> fuck you charles like what like fuck you so much like just that attitude of, of of you owe me some sort of explanation for who you are like no i owe you very little very little in this world i might owe you um a modicum of like respect and like just acknowledging your dignity as a human and that's about it like you got to earn the rest it is scary and as you know uh, my husband and I are we're getting ready to move back to North Carolina where I grew up I've been in San Diego 17 years I see what's happening in the south and in these quote-unquote battleground states you know North Carolina has its own proposed drag ban that's that's now on the table who knows if it'll go anywhere if it'll pass but it, it's been written and and proposed part of me just has to be in that fight I'm like there's no way my whole life like led to this moment of me releasing the world's first contemporary Christian music album by a drag performer to not somehow be involved in this conversation that's happening nationally like I could not have planned that right like I I just I just started doing this because it was for me 
and then all of a sudden the world blew up with like messages of drag is scary drag is a threat i'm like hi can can you just like get to know me for two seconds like and let's change your mind on this like it's we're we're the least threatening thing to you if anything if anything we are here to help save some of these institutions that have fucked over so many kids church government all of it like you need us and you need us as elected officials you need us like in front of your congregations i don't know what it's going to look like i have a weird gig right now because i'm I, I do drag and I do some traditional drag in clubs where I lip syncing and having a good time and cutting up with people. And then I have, I'm a musician, which I've been my whole life, a songwriter. And I've incorporated, incorporated that part into my drag as well. So Flamey is a gospel singer, which is <laughs> crazy. And then I, I like to do what you do too. I like to do a little bit of like thoughtful introspection and instruction and thought work and talking to people and um I, I just did my first ever one woman show and that's a lot it's comedy but it, you know it's a it's a lot of thoughtful comedy i hope so i don't know where all of this is going to take me but i'm going to try to do it in north carolina and, or at least have north carolina as my home base yeah. not gonna not gonna lie i might be a little scared <laughs> might yeah. be a little scared mike what's your favorite color i like cerulean cerulean. very well like a bright we're, blue. we're getting into the eyes now yeah. oh nice oh you're just gonna color it up now you can just choose yeah nice i have i don't i don't have to look any particular way tonight i can do whatever i want so let's <laughs> see your favorite color wait but i said blue and your wig is going to be bright pink oh that's not those are the trans colors like that's fine great yeah great yeah is what you're doing kind of unheard of i don't know that i know a ton of drag queens who are kind of wearing the different hats you're wearing all at once i would have said uh you know even maybe a year and a half ago i would have said yeah like there's nobody doing that lies there are lots of drag queens doing this and I've been, thanks to the internet, I've been really fortunate to get connected with several of them. And in fact, last year, yeah, last year, we had the very first Dragon Spirituality Summit. What? Um, yeah, we, we, we tried calling it Spiritual Drag Con and then a certain um, famous drag queens lawyers wrote an, a, a cease and desist and said no you cannot use drag con so it's the spiritual drag summit <laughs> <laughs> and uh we had it in chicago uh last year and we're doing it again this fall uh um, in october in san francisco there's a community of probably 50 to 60 folks now in this conversation it's it's a lot of it has been happening online obviously and then when we met in person there were probably i don't know half of us probably made it to that it's like 30 people in the room but we're all over and there are people who are preaching uh pentecost miss pentecost is just uh, was ordained in the <laughs> i want to say methodist i only know people by their handles sometimes the theology queen uh is in new york she preaches bonnie violet is kind of our our uh, ringleader if you will she's the one who's kind of organized us all uh, organized us all and she's been hosting dragon spirituality conversations for years on her youtube channel and she's fabulous and so grateful for her I say that I'm the world's first drag queen to release a full-length contemporary Christian album because I feel like that's a pretty safe statement. Like I don't, I, I can't find anybody who's done that. There sure are drag queens who've released like a gospel song here or there. You know, I wanted to be like Stephen Curtis Chapman and Amy Grant and Michael W. Smith when I was growing up. Like those are my idols. That's what I wanted to be. And so putting this album, this most recent album out, I like that was the, that, that's what I was doing. So I feel like I can say that. But I don't think I'll be the only one for very long. Like, I'm sure there will be more very hot on my heels making music that speaks to this shared experience that we all have.
Cool. That's awesome. I didn't realize there were so many other people doing similar things in that same vein. That's so cool. That's where visibility matters, right? So many times I see, especially on some of these, some of my friends' uh, pages, I'll see people pop in and be like, what, a drag queen preacher? Or like, you know, a drag queen Christian? Like, what's next? A drag queen preacher? A drag queen like worship leader and so and that's when I'll pop in and be like hi we're already here like we're we're in the process of having to normalize that for people and it it will take time but there are people out here who are doing that work and I'm just I feel very just lucky and happy to be part of it's an awesome group of people yeah you should come you should come to drag to spiritual drag summit this October <laughs> I'll send you I'll tell you all the details tell, wait can I come if I'm not a drag queen yeah 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 it's for anybody it's for people who love drag people who just like want to be there to you know it's like we do panels and discussions and then there are performances obviously like cool but, yeah some of the deeds yeah. i'd love to come that sounds awesome i will what are some things that you would care to say to people who you know are watching right now listening who haven't you know they've, they've never been to a drag show they don't know anybody who's involved in drag at all they're trying to like yeah. listen and lean in and you know whatever but they also don't have a ton to work with to like yeah anywhere what are some things you'd care to say to those people if you're bothered in any way by the conversation that's happening, or if, if you if it makes if feelings are bubbling up in any kind of way, then I think you need to like respond to that in yourself and go to a drag show. And drag's not for everybody. Like just like sports aren't for everybody, right? Like people have trying to been trying to get me into sports my whole freaking life, and that was part of the performative masculinity. That was, that was the part I hated the most of performative masculinity. I was trying to pretend like I care, like I gave one flying fuck about anything that happens on a field or I don't know, pitch, match, whatever words are used. Um, so it's not, it's definitely not for everybody, but, but if you're having, like, if your body is having some kind of reaction to what's going on, then you need to, you need to respond to that in yourself. You need to go educate yourself a little bit and you need to actually physically be in the room. Even better, meet a queen, like meet a drag queen and have cordial conversation with them. If you hear all this dialogue and like you just don't know what's going on but you're not interested in drag at all like all you need to know is that this is a career for people like this is not a um i mean it can be a calling in the way any career is, can be a calling for folks and obviously in entertainment like you feel there's a special like urge to go entertain folks right mm -hmm. but drag queens are very lazy and not coordinated is what i'm trying to say like we're not we're not out here like coordinating efforts to try and like have some coup have some uh you know get into schools like there are opportunities like that that exist reading stories to kids in libraries and things like that yes they exist and it's just like any other art form like I have been in an r-rated film a number of times where a parent has brought in their kid and I personally I've felt like yeah that this is a lot for that kid to be watching and I wouldn't make that choice but that's not my choice, right? Like, I'm not that kid's parents. It's the exact same thing with drag. Like, if a parent wants to bring their kid to a drag brunch, to a drag time story hour, first and foremost, like, drag queens know how to behave, like, around kids. Like, don't just assume that all drag is, like, this, like, sexy, I'm, 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 I'm here, like, performing to whatever pop song is popular at the moment and dressed sexy and whatever. Like, that's not what all drag is. Drag is, there's so many different types of drag. Drag isn't even just men dressing up as women. And I think people have that misconception, like that it's just biological cis men dressing up to impersonate women. That's not, that's not what drag is either. Drag is playing with gender in all of its forms. So you have drag kings, you have cis women who dress up as men, right? Like you have cis women who dress up as like more exaggerated versions of femininity. Like you have men doing male drag, like it's, and, and then you have all kinds of like things in between and you have comedy 
you have like really thought provoking. Gosh, I went to a, a, I say went to a drag show. We had a drag queen open for our tour in Bend, Oregon. And she just got up on stage and like draped in like the heaviest cloths, like from head to toe, like, like just looking like a fortune teller, like with just, you know, wrapped up in shawls and everything. So like no one in the world could have pointed to that and been like, that's sexually suggestive. And she like literally just told stories in this very soft-spoken voice you had to like get quiet to listen in and hear what she was even saying like it didn't even have to do with gender expression it was just storytelling and that's drag like so you can't classify you can't you can't ban drag that's that's the thing that's what i'm trying to say you can't just ban drag because drag is too many things for you to even like experience in a year (laughs) like you'd have to go to a drag show every day get curious like you would about anything else in your life and educate yourself with firsthand experience and stop listening to whatever is being regurgitated to you by a news network or your friend who listens to a news story or whatever like just go experience it for yourself and make your own decision you don't even have to leave your house anymore like that's the thing like please just watch a season of drag race the most it's one of the most popular shows in the world you'll see a lot of things But you will also see, like, they do a really good job, especially in these later seasons, doing what I'm doing. Like, when the girls are getting ready in the workroom, they have conversations, they talk about their lives, they talk about the challenges they face. And it's just, it's just very human. I I know that we'll never get through to a certain type of person, like the person who jumps into your thread and just immediately calls you a groomer. Like, we'll never get through to that guy. But I think there are a lot of people who, like, hear these conversations. And like you said, just don't know. And it's just a matter of watching a TV show. Follow me. Follow my... Here we go. Follow Flamey Grant on Instagram, on Facebook, whatever. Live with us for a little bit and then make a judgment call. Because mm-hmm. I promise it won't be the same judgment call that you're going to make if you're listening to Fox News talk about us. <laughs> I actually literally today had somebody text me, a friend of mine. We hadn't talked in a couple months and we were just catching up. And then he was like, hey, so I'm totally just curious, not wanting to fight. Just want to know what you <laughs> think about this whole like drag thing, children, schools, whatever. And my response to him just very concisely, this was not very fleshed out, but basically I was like, listen, we have comedians. We have pop stars, we have actors, right? In their industries with their yeah. cars, their thing. And we have comedians and pop stars and actors who do crazy things, right? They do things that are violating, that are inappropriate, that you know, we're not okay with. We don't ban the whole industry. We don't call into question the whole industry because there's a person or a group or whatever that is doing things that we obviously recognize aren't okay. Yeah. What's happening with the drag queens and whatever with this politicized agenda is a double standard and totally hypocritical. You know what I mean? Like this is so unique and myopic and it's an attack, right? And anyway, so I just kind of tried to unpack that and he was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Thanks. And the conversation kind of resolved quickly, but. It's like kids bop, pop songs rewritten for kids, right? Mm. I'm I'm correct about that, right? I don't actually know because I don't (laughs) listen to kids bop, but I think. I believe you. I don't know either. I can't bet that. Fine. In the comments, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty (laughs) sure kids bop is like current popular songs that are taken and re-recorded by kids. Like kids are singing them and the lyrics are rewritten in instances where they need to be rewritten to make them more appropriate for that age. Drag Queen Story Hour is the kids bop of drag, okay? Like almost anytime you see a drag queen, you're you're not seeing you're not seeing skin, okay? <laughs> like we wear we wear literal couch cushions. We wear literal couch cushions around our areas, okay? Because that's how we give ourselves the shape. And then there are like layers and layers of tights. And it might look nude, but that's why we call it a nude illusion. Drag Time Story Hour is the kid's bop of of drag. That's all I'm saying. Like, it's a drag queen who knows what she's doing. They're reading from a kid's book, a book that has 
they didn't write the book. Like the book is a kid's book and it's been written for that audience. It's no different than like hiring Cinderella to come to your kid's birthday party. Okay. Like it's just giving the kids like a fantastical, wonderful experience, something pretty and sparkly to look at. It's just so bizarre that these really strong and specific and ignorant opinions just become like widespread. You're like, what is happening? And then you realize like, there are like entire media organizations and news networks that are pumping out these narratives to a very yeah. specific audience who are like subscribed. And so then they come into culture, into society, and then they we have to have these really weird, specific, slanted conversations with people about things they don't even understand, have never actually like experienced themselves. And it's a lot of work to be, you know, on this end of it, having to receive those kinds of militant, like belligerent attitudes and talking points you're like what like where did, where is this coming from where what's the basis for this we're not even having logical conversations anymore we're not talking about the same things right like that's <laughs> and the reason we're not is because you're talking about something because because you're talking out of your ass that's why because you don't <laughs> actually know you don't actually know drag you haven't experienced it to a uh, a meaningful degree um, you're, you're, you're taking one image you saw or one little video clip you saw, and then you're extrapolating and deciding that that's what all drag is. And I'm sorry, but the onus is on you. <laughs> like You have to educate yourself because we're out here living this life. Lots of parents are out here loving drag and loving giving their kids an opportunity to see gender expression in a lot of different ways. And you just need to hang out with them. I wish people could just say what they're trying to say and just admit you're scared. You're uncomfortable. Yeah. It's foreign. It, you don't understand it. And therefore it scares you. And that's okay. That's human. Yeah. And we have like, especially in the queer community, we have so much space for that, right? We, we get it. And no one's going to get mad at you for admitting this scares you and makes you uncomfortable. We're like, we'd love to meet you there. Like, let's have conversations. Let's provide experiences to let you get closer. Right. So if Absolutely. they could just say that instead of masking it with this pseudo intelligence and these like weird talking points, instead of just being honest, like we would have so much more constructive exchanges, you know, and I have those, I have those conversations with people in my DMs as well, which is why I yeah, still am willing to that's gauge, great. You know, like that happens. And some people are willing to come like that. And I'm like, why don't let's, what if we were just honest and just admitted, like you scare me, your freedom, the way you break the rules that I've always lived under scares me, right? Like, mm -hmm. let's just be honest about that. And then we can move forward together. You know, we don't, and we don't have to land in the same place or we don't even have to agree about this, but we can at least have the same conversation. Yeah, here, here. Let me ask you a question because you have obviously like, you know, you, you spent a day on a bus with drag queens in Nashville. What has your experience been like being involved in this conversation and why does it matter to you so much? I mean, I appreciate that it does. I love that we've got folks out here that are helping the queens do this work because it's, it's a lot to, you know, answer every DM and obviously we can't, but um, yeah. if we have more people helping to share that story, it's really helpful. So like, why does it matter to you, Mike? Whoa, flamey. The tables have turned. <laughs> That's a good question. You know, what's funny is when I came out, when I was doing all this work, I never dreamed that I would be like advocating for a drop for drag queens that I would be like, I hadn't even been to a drag show yet. Like none of this was on my radar. I wasn't, it wasn't like a yeah. something I was like looking for. But you know, when I, at some point in my coming out process, someone was like, let's go to a drag show. And I was like, what? I gotta do that. <laughs> so I did. I just put myself in that position. I was uncomfortable. I was like, I don't know. It's, and not because drag queens were scary. I just didn't, I'd never been in that environment before. So I didn't know what to expect. So naturally I was like insecure. And I was actually shocked at how much fun it was. I was shocked at how loud the music was, but I was shocked at like yeah. how, like mostly the atmosphere and the energy in the room and the unity and just like how engaged and bought in everybody was. Like there was not a single apathetic person that I could see. Um, maybe someone looking for the person they're looking for or like, you know, waiting for their drink, but like 
people who were there for the event were so engaged. And I was like, this energy in this room is addicting. It's infectious. This is so cool. And then the Queens, I would just, I also like when they came out and were doing their thing, I did not know. I was like, what is a drag show? Like, what are they supposed to be doing? And I didn't realize there was so much lip syncing. I didn't uh-huh. realize the range of like, you know, presentation and then costume and all the things. There's so much variety. I was like, this world has evolved so much more rapidly than I even understood, which was so much fun to, you know, experience. So I've gone a few times now. And then I don't know, like the drag world has just kind of grown in its gravity in my world. And I'm just going to start getting pulled in. But the reason I'm willing to like take a stand and like do advocacy work in this space and like speak to this, even though I'm not a drag queen and I don't I'm not aware of a particular affinity to want to do drag at this point in my life, you know, and I'm not opposed mm-hmm. to it. I'm like actually open, like, is this going to happen at some point? Am I like going to become a drag queen? And I don't feel that at the moment, but I am entertained and I enjoy it. And I love, you know, like people like you that are so passionate and into it. Like I'm, I love that you guys are and that you do it. But underneath all of that, I think there's something really brave about drag. I, about tr- the trans community too, right? But like drag specifically mm-hmm. with how like showman, the showmanship and how loud and like public that whole art form is. I think there's something really brave about being honest about what you enjoy. Like, I think it's easier to be defensive and critical and like come to the defense of something. It's a lot more vulnerable and like braver to share what you enjoy and what you love, mm. and, like find fascinating and beautiful like that's way more vulnerable so for someone to get up there and do this you're taking on features and like demonstrating attitudes and things that you actually find to be expressive and like closer to home for you I respect that and I appreciate it and I want to defend for everybody's sake our freedom and right to artfully express ourselves and that shouldn't be censored or silenced or taken away from us or infringed upon like why would we take away people's opportunities to express themselves and to explore the range of what we're capable of experiencing and what we are identifying with so it just goes into all kinds of other conversations but like i believe that people should have the right and the freedom and we fought so much to get here it's like why would we want to go back and undo this and when there are little kids little boys, little girls, little non-binary and transgender children who don't Mm -hmm. have examples, who don't get to have that visibility and see that the work and the drama and the turmoil they're gonna have to go through to figure out who they are and where they belong and what's available and their possibilities. Like, why would we take that away from them? This is a marginalized community, right? People who aren't the majority, who have been pushed to the side, have been scapegoated for a long time now. These people are people too. These, these kids are kids and they matter and their future and their dreams and hopes matter. And so drag is like a huge bastion of creative expression and art that advocates for and speaks to those people. And that matters to me. I'm like, this is a big deal, you know, like, right today it's drag but if we lose this where else is this going to go and what else are we going to take away from culture and who else are we going to silence and shut down and control like and so i think drag queens and what they are in this conversation today like have become these like unsuspecting heroes uh holding space and culture for things that are intangible but matter and there's like a humanity that's being expressed that i find to be really important yeah wow okay just like let me snap for that for a second because that was that was freaking beautiful if i weren't putting makeup on i might let myself cry a little bit um you're so right and i think maybe i glossed over that bit um even in in telling my own story about the joy that this brings like 
you don't make a lot of money as a drag queen, first of all, like, unless you get on TV and that's a gamble that you're not going to take for very long. Right. And then you face so much opposition in the world and, and people who like in questions, like not even opposition sometimes, but just, it, it's hard to answer questions all the time about like, why are you doing this? Mm. So like, there has to be something underlying all of this, right. That makes it worth it. <laughs> and I promise you, it, it's not $150 in tips on a Friday night. Like that does not make it worth it. And when you were talking about the drag show that you your experience at the drag show and like what the community of it and the the hype of it right like the frenzied energy of it i'm like you could say that about a lot of church services too you know there's something inherently in us as people that like those kinds of experiences they not only like bind us and 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 make us feel like we're part of a community like that is so much of why, why church is successful you're tapping into why we're here in some way, right? Which is to like the pursuit of happiness. I believe that that is written into our our founding documents in a really intentional, meaningful way. Like we are here to pursue happiness. And I think that joy matters. I think we have to seek it out and find it wherever we can because life is hard. And we are, we, we, we know we're gonna encounter all kinds of challenges just by existing in this world. And so part of our job while we're here, I think is to find that joy, create it for others, like bring people along in it. And drag does that just as much as church does. Drag is inclusive of everybody. Um, it's for everybody and church isn't. It's not uncommon for me to cry at drag shows. I'm like, what is this? Yeah. I'm aware, like I can tell when I'm crying, getting emotional. Like it's because there's a moment in the song or the queen is just owning it. And there is something about the expression. And I just honestly feel like in that moment, this person is standing up for something good and virtuous and true and honest and human and authentic. And I'm moved by it. And I'm like, this matters. And it's not violence. It's not war. They're not dominating anybody. This is vulnerability. This, you know, yeah. and like, that's the way that we should be taking ground. And, and I love that. I think that's, yeah. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for like being willing to hang out in those, uh, on, on the front lines with us. Um, yeah. It matters. We see it. It makes a big difference. And we appreciate it. I guess what I wish is that people wouldn't feel so compelled to call themselves an ally when they're not. I feel like that is a word of war, you know, and, and I hate war. I'm not like, I'm very much, I would consider myself a pacifist, but that word means that you, you do stand like with whoever you're allying yourself with, like you, you believe in the justice of their cause and you're going to stand with them in the fight to defend it, right? Like that is what allyship is to me. This is getting into some really nuanced stuff, folks. So just bear with me as I try to work this out and, and turn it into words. Uh, I feel like we demand as a community, we, we demand allyship from so many people that maybe we shouldn't be demanding it from because these people are still figuring it out, right? I feel like on the flip side, people feel like compelled, like, oh my gosh, I have to say I'm an ally or I'm going to get canceled or I'm going to get like, <laughs> right? Like uh, I, have to, I have to like very quickly, yeah. like get on board with this real right. fast. If that's the place you're in, like if you're a progressive Christian or whatever, like you feel like you have to like, oh gosh, I have to be an ally on this thing. Like you actually, you don't. Let me speak for myself at least and say like this drag queen right here, like you don't have to be my ally. I would love it if you get there, obviously. And that is the goal. Like I want you to believe in the justice of my cause. And I would love to have as many people on the front lines with me as possible. But I recognize the reality of the journey it takes to get there is all I'm saying. You know, I used to fight for the other team, like real hard. I used to, I, like, I can't even tell you the cringe memories I have of myself, like speaking to people who came out to me, like not knowing that I was also queer before I even really like, could, could acknowledge my own queerness. Like, 
and the way I treated them. Like those, I have those experiences and those things in my life too. And, you know, part of what I do (laughs) is try to atone for that, you know, and that's why I want to work so hard. But I guess I'm just trying to say like, don't feel pressured to call yourself an ally too soon, because if you do, I'm going to ask you to come out and fight with me. And if you're not ready to do that, then that's, you need to do that work internally and be like, maybe I'm not an ally. Maybe I, I love people. And I like, maybe I'm curious and maybe I support like these rights that are being taken away, but there's actually a little bit more to being an ally. And, and if you call yourself that, then we have expectations. And on the flip side, like queer folks, like let's, let's remember our own journeys. You know, Uh, if you're fortunate enough to grow up in a place where norms weren't uh, assumed about you, then like, awesome. That's great for you. But guess what? Most of us didn't get that experience. (laughs) And most of us have to go on a journey of self-discovery to get here. So like, let's be gracious and open with the folks who are still doing that. Are, it seems like there are multiple layers going on here. <laughs> yeah, though, there's a lot going on. Yeah, yeah. So I've got to do a little more sculpting of the face, like with some powders and some blush. But then we're almost to the point where I can do a lip and a lash. Great. Yeah, well, we're going to land soonish. So if you need to focus okay. more on the, the art and less on the talk, then just let me know and I can I can uptake some of that. But I just want to look pretty for you, Mike. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> While you're doing that, I'm going to throw in this too. I'm saying this as not a drag queen, so bear with me there. But queer theology is such a... F- cool fascinating redemptive approach to what the gospel has been in the world and the way that you know modern culture has applied it misapplied it um but drag queens specifically you know i think are holding something really unique when it comes to queer theology and obviously (laughs) most drag queens probably aren't like interested in the theology side of any of those but um, given Flamey Grant's intersectionality and your journey, I'm like, this feels like the conversation where this is appropriate. In this particular vein of drag, a lot of gay men who become drag queens, who, mm-hmm. you know, maybe now are having more freedom and opportunity to identify as non-binary, what have you. But like, historically, a lot of gay men have been drag queens and the skills they've had to learn to of blending in and adopting certain mannerisms or hiding things or whatever in order to not get beat up or shunned or excommunicated like those skills that they did to survive that they used to hide themselves you know in the drag world become these skills that are celebrated and turn into mm. like championed abilities that they've like been able to now instead of hiding the limp wrists and the eyeliner and the big wigs and the, you know, the big showy glam, they now get to like exaggerate it and blow it up and like put it to a, an extreme degree. And it's like the closet that they had to survive gets flipped inside out. And now that closet has become a stage that they get to strut the things they'd hid in their whole lives or avoided. And now we get to champion that and celebrate it. And so I think a big part of why, another part of why I get emotional when I watch drag queens going for it is like, there's somebody who has been through so much adversity and has to had to fight to get to this moment in their life. And we are now screaming and cheering for them. They're under the lights, they're on the stage. We are celebrating them. And it's not just, I'm being entertained for this night. It's, I am celebrating this human being's life and journey and resilience and they've overcome. And this person is actually a champion in our culture, you know? And I don't think a lot of people get that, but like that, that is a thing, you know? And I think that's so beautiful and profound. And I'm not trying to make this more, put more depth here than actually there. I think that there's actually something really profound about this whole experience that I can't help but salute and celebrate, you know? Um, I don't even, I, I, I'm having to process that in real time, Mike. That's the first time I've thought about that. Oh. I've never, I've never, 
and I've even been talking about it this whole time, talking about the performative masculinity thing and how much mm -hmm. of my life was devoted to trying to be the thing that I <laughs> wasn't. And now that I, yeah, that I get to go out on stage and people are hooping and hollering and I get to like, just be, you know, which for me is like that limp wrist and that like the, the not having to adapt my voice, you know, not having to try and deepen and I have a deep voice now, but like, you know, not having to just code, code myself. Right. Yeah, That's right. The, the code switching thing. I've never thought about it in terms of like, maybe what's so powerful and moving and emotional about drag for me is that I, <laughs> that, yeah, that stuff gets celebrated. That's wild. I can't believe I've never thought of that, like directly, like that yeah. direct correlation, but I haven't. And that's like those things that disqualify you are now the things that uniquely qualify you for this industry and stage and performance that, you know, not everyone can actually pull off. Like that's wild. Like redemption, okay. you know, and it yeah. is, it, it feels is. like justice. Like it feels like justice. <laughs> this is like being a drag queen is justice work in the world. You know, like the ways that queer people have been oppressed and marginalized and silenced and erased and bullied. Like queens are stepping up and saying, actually the opposite is going to happen now. Mm. we're going to celebrate these people we never should have done this to them and drag queens are bringing in this priesthood i'm using theological theological language again but drag queens are bringing this priesthood to the table to bring a ministry of reconciliation and coming to our culture and saying you brutalized us you bullied us you made us want to like end ourselves we're going to mm. give you a performative formalized environment where you can come and clean this up and you can come and make amends and you can come and celebrate what you used to hate you can come and repent right? Like I'm putting theological terms in a culture in a space that people would not talk like this. But when you're looking at yep. what happened culturally, I'm like, drag queens are bringing atonement, they're bringing the confession booth, they're like coming and washing people's feet and saying, Hey, you were horrible to us. Let's turn this trauma and brutality and violence into a place of celebration and reconciliation. And let's like, incorporate it into our culture. Let's not erase it. Let's not pretend like this didn't happen. Let's turn it into glitter and glam and let's pop that hip and let's put those wigs on and let's dance you know like it's beautiful <laughs> it's beautiful it's so beautiful you're gonna get me oh my god <laughs> uh, wait, till wait till the lashes come on and then we get to get I, the water I know, I know. It, look if if there's not a moment where you at least get into drag at some point like then that's gonna be a crime because you just spoke to it so eloquently in a way that I don't know that I've ever heard anybody like speak to it that just that directly and 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 give the answer to the question of that I get asked all the time is like why spiritual drag like what like what is that about and I'm just gonna like take take that excerpt take all, from now whatever on you want you can take it all and just claim it. You don't no, need to just like, me, just... no cut that out actually like make it like you do with some of these like cut that piece out put it on your social <laughs> medias and then I will always have a link uh, <laughs> that I can just send to people and be like this this right here nice in a dark club this would be fine <laughs> but here let's put on the whoa amazing if I, hide, if I hide the tank top I'm currently in <laughs> you look great look at flaming grand she's amazing there it is I love it that's, that's awesome that was so thank cool you. to get to watch thank you for giving me the chance to like talk through the meaning behind all of this as I'm 
physically actually doing it. Like that's a, I haven't had that experience before and I really love it. Nice. Yeah. This is so cool. This is so stimulating to get to like, watch you do that while we were talking. And I was like, man, your nose is brown for a while. Is it going to stay like that? What's happening? Yeah. Right? Look uh -huh. at you yeah. It's, it's, it's that you have to trust the process thing. Cause it, drag looks absolutely batshit until you get to a certain point and you're like, Oh, I see what's happening here. Yeah. Right. You it's look wild. so good. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. Impressive. Okay. Wait. So before we land this plane, how do people get involved in your world? What are you doing? What can they participate in? Tell them any and all the things like, what are you doing? Yeah, talked a lot about the music. Obviously, the music's out there. I would love for y'all to listen to the album. It's called Bible Belt Baby. It came out in October of last year. And the other piece of what I've really gotten into lately is I, I mentioned earlier, I just did my first one woman show. It's called Godless Sheathen. Just look on my socials. You'll see it there. I, my socials are my website, flamygrant.com. Um, in late June, I'm doing um, a performance of that in the Bay Area. I'm also going to be doing it in Nashville in September, uh, September 15th. I'll be doing my one woman show there. Yep. Did you not know this yet? No. I'm like, how am I just not finding out about this? I thought I had told you when we talked. Um, so yeah, it did get locked in recently. So I guess that's why okay. I hadn't mentioned it. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I'll be at the Lipstick Lounge in Nashville uh, doing my one woman show September 15th. That's so weird to hear you say that this local bar that I, wow, that's so cool. Yeah, I'm so excited. It'll be my first time there. I'm so excited because I've been watching that bar for a while and, and they do awesome stuff. The way I got booked there was through, <laughs> uh, through Stephen Mason of Jars of Clay. Uh, yeah, who found found me. We found each other online. Actually, the way I found him was really embarrassing. I was like basically publicly thirsting over him when he was at the Caveman's Call reunion show. <laughs> and I was I was like making all these comments in my Instagram story about, wow, he like glowed up. He got fine, blah, blah, blah. And then like somebody sent it to him and he like slid into my DMs laughing. Uh, but we've become like internet friends now and he helped me get booked at the Lipstick Lounge because uh, he loves that bar. So I love that. Fabulous, right? That's just fantastic. Wonderful. Beyond that, like, you know, I'm just, I'll be touring, playing shows as much as I can. So just check out my calendar and yeah, listen to the music. And yeah. So if people follow you on Instagram, is that going to be a solid place to like get updates? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Instagram is Instagram's my favorite. I hate yeah. all the others. I, I literally... <laughs> loathe tiktok so i just want you to know that anytime you watch a video of me on tiktok right before posting that i was like cursing and mumbling to myself about how much i fucking hate that app so <laughs> i give it i give it my best i try my best but i hate it and i hate twitter and i hate facebook but i love instagram so that is the best place if you're an instagram person that is the best place to interact with me because i won't be hating my life when i'm doing it <laughs> okay well i'm gonna put your handles and the links you mentioned in the show notes so people can access that there flaming grant thank you so much for being here and thank you for letting us be part of your glow up process it's really cool to see that <laughs> thanks for having me mike this was fantastic just like the last time we talked i, yeah. I love talking it's really meaningful and thank you likewise for sure my pleasure everyone thanks for being here obviously i'll see you in the next show but check out flaming grant all right we'll see you next time Listen, there's more where this came from. If you want to dive deeper, check out MikeMayashiro.com.